You are listening to audio from Ebenezer Baptist Church on the corner of Ebenezer Baptist and Pleasant Green Road. If you would like to learn more about our church, please go to ebcconnect.org. Maybe thinking, Isaiah, why are you by this river? Well, Pastor Bob, he reached out to me and he said that he needed someone to do a uh, a video, welcome video for uh, for Sunday. And so he said I could do it inside, outside, by a hiking trail. He didn't say river, but he didn't exclude river. So I figured that's what was on his mind and that's what he wanted me to do. So I hope that that is not too much of a distraction today. But even if it is, it kind of plays a little bit into the, maybe the point that I'd like to make today. Today, and in the time that we live in, it is a time full of distractions. You know, we can turn on the TV and and there's distraction. We can look at our phone and there's distraction. We can wear a mask and there's distraction. And, And I'm sure you have felt... The, the distraction of even this little mask over the past few months, whether that was you talking to someone who was talking to you through a mask or, or even, even sitting through a church service having to wear a mask. Those are all distractions. And so it makes me think, with all of the things going on, we need to be intentional. We need to be thinking about how we approach the throne, the throne room of God. Because today, we are about to open up God's Word. Pastor Bob is about to bring us the Word of God, and we need to decide now where our attention is going to be on. Now, if you go to your bulletin, you can, you can open it up and see that a lot of things have changed. The beach trip that Jeremiah was planning for the, for the youth has been canceled. VBS is going to have to be done a little bit differently this year. Even Master's Garden has had to adjust some of their schedule. Those are all things that are happening and can take our focus if we let it. 
And so before we get started, I just want to pray. Pray for myself. Pray for you. That we focus in on what we need to focus in on. And that is the God of the universe. So will you join me as I pray? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I do just want to lift up your name because it is worthy of honor, praise, worship, glory. Lord, may your name be what we focus on. May your characteristics be what we focus on. May your goodness and your your grace to us be what we focus on. Lord, you are so intricate and detailed and and you have made us to be the very same way. May we not take take that for granted by focusing on a myriad of different things. But may we calm our hearts and our minds and may we think about who you are and who you are to us. Lord, it's in your son's name I pray. Amen.
Well, good morning, church family. I know this isn't the plan that we had when we started this week, but we are getting to meet online because technology allows us to do that. In light of recent circumstances, we're having to make this adjustment. So I would encourage you to continue to check our website, the Facebook page, um, and look for emails that will explain further uh, the things that are getting adjusted at this point. Uh, we are in a, a, a series called The Upside. Uh, it's from the book of 1 John. Uh, you know, over the last couple weeks, as we've looked at this, we've learned a few things. John, the author, is the writer. He is the disciple of Jesus, and he writes this pastoral letter to combat errant doctrine. Uh, it's to spur on the those believers to rest in the truth of Christ and to make a declaration that Jesus came in the flesh. That God is light, He is the source of truth, all truth, and it is not man who is the source of that. And Jesus came in the flesh and alone provides salvation. Um, he also talked about actionable truth that when we encounter truth, it should drive us to action by obeying His commands, and in so doing, it brings us assurance. And so today, we're going to tackle some of the ideas that John includes in his letter when he writes about the topic of love. You know, there are various definitions of love. We can, we can put it in categories like, I love pizza, or I love hamburgers, or I love grilling out. We can put it in terms of people, I love my wife. I love my children, um, I love my friends, any of those kind of things, or I love a particular idea. I love the fact that we can do this. I love the, the idea that we can meet by technology for preaching. But there are also descriptions of love. When we were back in Atlanta, very early in ministry, um, we had a, a, a couple that were our friends, and they had a small child. And at that church, we would do deaf ministry. Um, we reached a population of the deaf culture in Atlanta. And uh, as part of that, we had an interpreter in our service. And after the service, one of those young children, and she was probably three or four at the time, um, she got to the car, and as parents drove off, she asked a question from the back seat. She said, how do you make love? And so that question immediately brings startle and, and some shock to it. But being wise parents, they asked another question back to her. And they said, well, what do you mean by that? Or what do you want to know? And she said, oh, you know, in sign language, how, how do you make love? And, and the whole thing was turned on a dime as that description became something way different than what could have been perceived. And so when we have descriptions of love, we, we want to know whether it's a, an accurate description. And John is going to give us a description of love in the book, in this letter that he writes. Um, during World War II, Hitler commanded religious groups to unite into one group so that he could control them. Well, the Brethren Assemblies... Um, half of them complied, half of them didn't, and the ones that complied, their life got a little bit easier or was easier through the process, but the ones that didn't faced severe persecution. 
In fact, there were many members of the, the group that decided not to comply that ended up being killed because of their faith. They resisted, and they ended up in concentration camps. And the, when the war was over, there was a great amount of tension between the ones that had complied and the ones that hadn't. And so at the end of that, they were just um, they were at odds. And so eventually the two groups sent their leaders to a particular retreat camp to talk about how they could unify. And each person spent time in prayer, examined his own heart in light of Christ's commands, and they came together. And someone asked Francis Schaeffer, um, who told of the incident, asked a friend, what did you do then? He said, we were just one. As they confessed their hostility and bitterness toward God, and yielded to His control, the Holy Spirit brought them together, created a sense of unity among those two groups. You see, when love prevails among believers, especially in times of strong disagreement, and you'd have to say that we live in those kind of times, it presents to the world an indisputable mark of a true follower of Jesus Christ. You know, we could talk about God's love, but we need to talk about God's love in the context of how is our love toward God and how is our love toward others. C.S. Lewis wrote, on the whole, God's love for us is, much safer, is a much safer subject to think about than our love for Him. So what was it like for John, as he writes this letter, as he thinks back to those times with Jesus, what was it like for John to be a disciple? You remember the guys that he had to hang out with. So Jesus had this band of followers, this group of men that he had called from different professions. And so you had Matthew, who was a tax collector and who was despised as now part of this group. And then you had some fishermen that came in, including Peter, who was pretty much a loudmouth leader. And he came in with his ideas, and you know that every time Jesus asked a question, it would be Peter going, hey, I know the answer, and I'm going to step up, and I'm just going to walk into this. And you've got John that is watching all this, and so he writes about love within the context of the church, exactly understanding that the, that the church itself is made up of different kinds of people, different personalities, just as that group, that band of disciples, was different. And so he writes this, in 1 John chapter 2, starting at verse 7, he says this, Beloved, I am writing you a no new commandment, but an old commandment, that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away, and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. In verse 11, but whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So let's pray as we get into this and start looking at what it means for John to write this kind of terminology or this kind of subject to a group that he calls beloved. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the ability for us to gather in a different kind of way again this morning. 
Father, as we look at this passage, Father, I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to what you teach us and how you want us to adjust our lives to the truth that is found in you. And so, God, we ask that you would guide us this morning as we study in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. And so John writes this to a group called the Beloved. That word means to be well-loved or esteemed. And so when he writes this, he's not writing to a group of people that he despises or pushes off or, or holds at arm's length. He's writing to a group of people that he really has a passion for and loves and wants them to understand what it means to follow Christ with all their heart. So our first point this morning is the, the idea of a strong love, that Jesus executes the command to love. Look at verse 7. I'm writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you. And so he writes this. He says, the commandment to love is essentially foundational. It has been in existence for a long time. If you jump over to 1 John Chapter 4, verse 7, it says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because what? God is love. In this, the love of God that was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. When we look at that, we understand that the love of God is derived from the character of God. And then it's also descriptive of the action of God, that God would send His one and only Son on our behalf so as a sacrifice, that propitiation, so that satisfaction, so that we could have relationship with him so the commandment to love is foundational the commandment to love is also timeless it's not new it's an old commandment that is being brought up to date with the person of jesus christ and so what's new about the commandment the the idea the thing that is new is that jesus is the is the fulfillment of the commandment of god to love in the flesh John 13.34 says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And so Jesus is a strong love, and He executes the commandment of God to love. The second, second part in your outline this morning is sacrificial love. Not just strong love, but sacrificial love. Jesus exposes the commandment to love. Look at the second part of verse 8. It says, Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Then verse 9, Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. John writes, What is true of Jesus as a, a lover of man, the fulfillment of that commandment to love, it's also true of you, that you have that responsibility to love because of being in Christ. And it's true. Because truth is based on a person, not a thing. And circumstances can certainly bring darkness to a situation. But the light of Jesus, Him, and that light being in you brings hope. 
there's the fading influence of darkness in here. Look at what it says. Whoever says he's in the light hates his brother still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. And you see right before that it says the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. There's a fading influence to, to this darkness and, and that Greek word really just means to fade out or to disappear. And so what are the characteristics of this darkness? In verse 9 it says that it, it happens to be hate. Whoever says he's in the light hates his brother is still in darkness. So hate is part of that. It's the, the idea of it's still there and it's as in a state of suspension or it lingers. But it's also the inability to let go. It's something that if we abide in darkness, it creates bitterness in our life. The second characteristic of darkness would be apathy. And we can look at the story of the Good Samaritan and, and see in that story this, this idea of just riding by or walking by or moving by somebody and not caring about their circumstance. And so this walking in darkness can look like not just hate, but it can just look like apathy. And it can also look like silence. Um, the silence of Christians in times of turmoil does not show the love of God to a world that needs to see Him. 1 John 2.10 says this, whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. So what does abiding in the light look like? If we know what darkness looks like, it's that hate, silence, apathy piece. What does being in the light look like? And it looks like it's sacrificial. It's sacrificial. It's according to Jesus' example, and it is steady. It does not create a cause for stumbling. And there are several different, or at least two different types of stumbling that we look at in the New Testament. The, the Greek word is scandalon, where we get the word scandalous from. And it means to be a trap, a snare, or an impediment. And so if we look at that in, in light of what New Testament's right here, we, we say this is something that gets in the way. And there, there are a couple different ways it is used in the New Testament. One would be somebody who is um, on earth creating a stumbling block for somebody coming to know Christ. And then you have the, the idea that Jesus is a stumbling piece for those that refuse to give up their pride and to give up their love of self and submit or surrender to Him. When I was um, pretty young went to um, a place outside of Atlanta and was coming back in. They had a, a small beach and came back in to get some food for lunch and went into the place, got the food, came back out, really wasn't, wasn't paying attention to my surroundings and got in the car, started the car and started to drive forward through the parking space. And as I did, I ran over the parking block. Now you may say, well, that's really dumb. Why would you do that? Well, I didn't intend to. But what happened is after I did that, the car wouldn't start anymore. That impediment kept me, or that, that block, that stumbling block, kept me from moving forward. But as, after I went through it, it really created an issue that was bigger and had to call for help. And all it was was a loose wire. And when we allow the stumbling block of darkness 
and, and the stumbling block of not loving others to get in the way, it really kind of shuts down our system of following Christ. It, it shuts down who we are as a believer in Christ. So we can stumble over pride that present, prevents someone from coming to Jesus as Savior. It's the, that offensiveness of Christ. Or we can have a stumbling over hate or controversy or uncooperative spirits or arrogance within our own churches. Now you've seen it. We've seen this in the church because of a lack of love and not necessarily based on the dilution or, or, or watering down of the truth, but just because of a lack of love has been a stumbling block to those outside the church. I mean, you know, and you know people that look at the church and they look at all the different churches on all these different corners of, of their town and they wonder why the church can't get along if they're all proclaiming the same Jesus Christ come as a sacrifice for the salvation of man. And then another stumbling block might be legalism. Uh, staunch legalism has created a wedge in Christianity because it calls for obedience without respect for love and grace. And that would be one, one pendulum swing, if you will. But, but don't just leave it over there. There's another pendulum swing the other direction where staunch liberalism has been a wedge because it calls for permissiveness without regard for the holiness of God and His Word. And so either one of those swings, whether it's legalism or liberalism, can be a stumbling block to those who are looking at the church going, you guys can't agree on what it means to follow Christ, on what it means to actually love. And so the church can be, and remember John writes this to those that are claiming to know Christ, um, we can be agents of darkness when we continue to, to even talk bad about other believers. Even when we're removed from the context, walking in light requires us to love others. It is not acquiescing to the whims of the extremes, either one of those extremes, but in truth loving them in the spirit of this is a Jesus love and loving them regardless. Remember Jesus as our example, he brought that message to the Pharisees and the Samaritans. His love was essentially an invitation to know God. And he was ultimately interested in people having a relationship with the Father, and he got mad about it. You remember turning over the, the tables in the, in the temple courts? Because that was keeping people from knowing God. Jesus got mad. He didn't want anything to be an impediment to people coming to know Jesus Christ as Savior. The third part of our outline this morning, not just a strong love and a sacrificial love, but a strategic love. Jesus extols the commandment to love. The New Testament writers understood that being a believer was not easy. In fact, if you go down the list of those that were part of Jesus' original 12 disciples, we'll, we'll take Judas Iscariot out of the mix, but you look at their lives and how their lives ended, most of them were martyred for their faith. And so they knew it wasn't going to be an easy thing, but they still have the encouragement to walk in Christ. Look at verse 10. It says, Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. 
But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. There's two words in here I want us to see. The first one is abide. That we are to abide in the light and not abide in darkness. The second thing is that we are to walk. And, and those words signify something. It signifies that this is a journey, not a destination. There is a difference between walking with Christ and following Christ and hoping that you get to heaven and you end up with this eternal life out there and, it, and the life before that does not matter. We sometimes present this relationship with Christ as a futuristic accomplishment that, that we get heaven, but it's more than that. We see it when John writes, when Peter and Paul write, they reflect this preparing for an eternity that involves a maturing faith and an increasing love. And then we see in verse 11 this hopelessness that comes by walking in darkness. Whoever hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. What I see in that is I see that there is no direction, and essentially because there's no direction, there's no destination. But the one who walks in the light and loves according to the example of Christ is one that has both, both a direction and a destination. So love for our brothers is an indicator of direction and destination. And so what does love look like during a pandemic racial tensions, and political turmoil. It, it, it means, and, and this is the way I look at this scripture and in light of our current culture, is that we have a rock-solid commitment to the truth of God's Word. When everything around us wants to water down God's Word or ignore God's Word, we need to be rock-solid in what God's Word says for the church and for our personal lives. The second thing is a commitment to listen before judgment. And we have opportunities with all that is going on to listen to those, even though we may disagree with them, to listen to their opinions, to listen to their heart, to listen to how God may be working in their lives and then sharing with them the love of Christ. And then this also looks like loving beyond generational differences. Uh, Kinnaman wrote this, David Kinnaman, Kinnaman, who does a lot of research, he wrote this, the church is or should be a place of racial, gender, socioeconomic, and cultural reconciliation because Jesus commanded that our love would be the telltale sign of our devotion to him as well as a community where various age demographics genuinely love each other and work together with unity and respect. And so what Kinnaman is essentially saying, he says, God has put together the puzzle of the church, and this would be true of our church. We have multiple generations in our church, yet not every generation is going to see things the exact same way. In fact, even within the church, we're going to look at the context of our world or our community in different ways. But we are called as the church to love one another first and be part of the solution to showing the world of what love looks like in Christ. Remember, we, if we go back to, to John 
chapter 13, verse 34, a new commandment I give you that you love one another even as I have loved you. So there's that sacrificial love that you also love one another, that it be connected not just to the Father but to others. But then Jesus goes on and says this, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So if we look at and that, think about the world, what the world sees when they look at us. What does the world see when they look at our church? What does the world see when they look at this community of believers and even how we get along with other communities of believers? And so there are a couple questions that I want to wrap up with, and then we'll pray. So the first question is, how well are you loving? How well are you loving? Are you being an example of that sacrificial love that Jesus exampled? And then the second thing is, what is the world seeing through your speech, your action, and your connectedness to the Savior? What is the world seeing? Are they seeing you as a follower of Christ that is growing in your love for those around you? Or are they seeing that you're just a stumbling block that's getting in the way of them coming to know our Savior? It's, it's a point where we can stop and take inventory of our own life. You see, God gave His only begotten Son that whoever believed in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. And we get that. We get the self-sacrificial, or the self-sacrificial love of Christ and we respond to that. And if you don't have a relationship with Christ, I would encourage you to, to pray that prayer and ask, ask God to forgive you of your sin and you turn your life over to Him and surrender your life to Him. Allowing Him to be boss, Lord, and Savior in you. And allow Him to place His Holy Spirit in you. Not just for the destination, but for the journey to that destination. And then others of us, may need, as we do that inventory, ask ourselves the question, are we loving the way God would want us to love? You see, John's very clear. He says, abide or walk in the light. Don't forfeit your responsibility and your relationship to Christ by walking outside of the light that God has provided. Remember, He's the truth. He's the source of all truth. And in Him we find life and light. So as God calls you to respond to Him, respond in a way that is honoring and glorifying to our Savior. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the words of John to this group of people that He calls beloved. And Father, as You've taught us this morning, as you encouraged us, as you challenged us, as you made us even a little bit uncomfortable in our own skin regarding our love for Christ and our love for others, Father, I pray you would spur us on to do what you've called us to do according to your word. And so, Father, guide us, direct us, strengthen us for the days ahead. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm certainly glad that you joined us this morning. I would encourage you to go to our Stay Healthy page and get more information about schedule changes and continue to check there 
and can you continue to check on Facebook and look for those emails that will come explaining more about the changes that we've made recently to our schedule and our ministry activities. It was good to be with you this morning, even if it's by technology. Have a great week, and may God bless you. We welcome you to join us next Sunday for our weekly worship service. If you have found this resource helpful, please do share it with others and check out our other ministries at ebcconnect.org.